Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. A key witness in the Trump classified documents case now identified. The lead starts right now. Who is Trump employee number four? CNN confirms the name after he allegedly discussed surveillance camera footage on Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago property. This new identity as the former president faces new charges. Plus the political future of Senator Mitch McConnell. What his office is saying today about his freeze this week in front of reporters. And only on CNN. Terrorized by the Taliban, the desperate plea from Afghans now in hiding, two years after the chaotic American withdrawal. Welcome to Lead, everyone. I'm Bianca Goladriga in for Jake Tapper. We start today with our law and justice lead and the chaotic and consequential week for Donald Trump and his growing legal challenges. As the former president and his lawyers waited to see if he would be charged for his efforts to overturn the 2020 election, special counsel Jack Smith unveiled more charges in a separate case, the one involving the handling of classified documents. Trump now faces three more charges, including two for allegedly trying to destroy surveillance video footage at Mar-a-Lago. And his reaction is probably what you'd expect. This is harassment. This is election interference. You've called Jack Smith deranged. Yeah. Uh, again, if you're elected president, yeah. again, is he somebody you would fire? Well, I wouldn't keep him. Okay. Jack Smith, why would I keep him? He is deranged. Today, we're also learning the identity of the person referred to in last night's superseding indictment as Trump employee number four. Sources say Yusil Tavares oversaw the surveillance camera footage at the property. And at one point, another Trump employee asked Tavares if he could delete the footage as part of a request from, quote, the boss. CNN's Paula Reed starts off our coverage today with a closer look at these new charges and how investigators say the alleged crimes played out. Former President Donald Trump facing new legal peril tonight. A Florida grand jury returned a superseding indictment Thursday, adding two charges against Trump for an effort to alter, destroy, mutilate or conceal surveillance footage that is at the heart of the prosecution's case. Trump reacting in a new interview right after the charges dropped. It shouldn't even be a case. Prosecutors also added Mar-a-Lago property manager Carlos de Oliveira to the case charging him with obstruction and lying to the FBI during a January 2023 interview. The indictment describes how De Oliveira told another Mar-a-Lago employee that, quote, the boss wanted the server with the surveillance footage to be deleted. Prosecutors also added one more count against Trump of willful retention of national defense information related to a classified document he showed to visitors at his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey in 2021. 
That meeting was recorded by one of his aides. He said the papers. This was done by the military, given to me. Yeah. See, as president, I could have did less. Yeah. Uh, now I can't, you know, but this is yeah, classic. Now, now we have a problem. Isn't that interesting? CNN has learned that document, a presentation concerning military activity in a foreign country, was actually returned to the archives in January 2022. Prosecutors will have to prove that document was willfully retained, even though it was eventually returned, even before Trump received a subpoena. The former president firing back, suggesting he would have Smith fired if he is reelected. If you're elected president yeah. again, is he somebody you would fire? Well, I wouldn't keep him. Okay. Jack Smith, why would I keep him? He is deranged. Smith was appointed by Attorney General Merrick Garland to oversee investigations into Trump after the former president launched his latest bid for the White House. When I appointed uh, Mr. Smith, I did so because it underscores the Justice Department's commitment to both independence and accountability. Tell us what you expect to have an indictment this week. Smith has said little publicly, recently ignoring questions about another Trump indictment related to January 6th. Trump's lawyers met with Smith and his team Thursday ahead of an expected indictment in that case. We're going to walk down to the Capitol. Amid all the legal peril, concerns, too, about security at the courts in Atlanta, where Trump may also face charges in the coming weeks, barricades are going up around the courthouse. Carlos will make his first court appearance Monday down in Florida, and it's unclear how his addition to the case and these new charges will impact a timeline for this all to go to trial. Prosecutors argue that this should not alter the current schedule of putting this before a jury next May. But for former President Trump's legal team, they have been trying and trying to push any potential trial until after the election. And beyond that, this is likely another opportunity for them to try to delay this case. All right, Paula Reed, thank you. I want to bring in CNN chief law enforcement and intelligence analyst John Miller. John, good to see you. So walk us through how prosecutors could go about putting together such a detailed timeline here. They know about a 24-minute phone call between Trump and D. Oliveira and D. Oliveira and Nada walking through a tunnel where we now know surveillance cameras are located. It really does seem like the special counsel's team has gathered a lot more evidence here. So the special counsel's team is building this piece by piece. So in some cases, when they know about a conversation between Walt Nada, Trump's uh, right-hand valet and assistant, and another person, that's because they can see that on Nada's phone billing, um, and they can see that on the other person's, and they know when they've spoken for how long. But in other cases, they have text messages going back and forth where they see content, unlike the calls where they just have times. And in other cases, they have videotape of boxes being moved. But then remarkably, in that June 24th timeline, you have the attorney talks to Trump and says, you know, uh, we're going to turn over these boxes. Um, Trump knows that other boxes have been moved at this point. He talks to Walt Nada and says, I'm going to Bedminster. You stay behind. And Walt then meets with the head of maintenance to look for this tunnel that leads to where the documents are hidden and the cameras in the tunnel. And, you know, they have video of them with flashlights, allegedly, in the tunnel spotting the cameras. And what's the next thing that happens? They go to the head of IT for the Trump Mar-a-Lago resort 
and they say, what does it take to delete these videotapes of the boxes being moved and us looking at the cameras and everything else? Ultimately, it takes more than they thought because the IT chief then sends that up to other management people in the Trump organization who say, we're not deleting anything. And that's why it was all turned over pursuant to subpoenas. So we know that Nada and De La Vera were in this video, but Trump was not present at Mar-a-Lago when these alleged conversations happened. How do you prove then that it was directed by him? Um, it's circumstantial to the extent that you have um, communications between Trump and Walt Nada that can be documented, you know, phone to phone, but you don't have the content of those conversations. But then you have Walt Nada informing another person, these are instructions I got from the boss, who in context would be Donald Trump. So some of it is circumstantial, some of it is direct, but it, it, prosecutors are hoping it will all come together in this mesh where it is clear what's going on. So sources also say that De Oliveira was involved in the pool incident, which we know prosecutors were investigating, and that was when employees drained the resort's swimming pool and then ended up flooding a room where computer servers containing surveillance video logs were kept. Uh, I'm sure investigators are looking at that now as well. So Trump's Amer Save America Fund has paid a lawyer representing De Oliveira $200,000 um, as this investigation is going on. And, and Biana, that's before he was charged with any crime. So that indicates that he has been the focus of law enforcement scrutiny throughout this investigation. And I think you could intuit from that, he has probably been under pressure through his lawyers to cooperate with the investigation, become a witness. And I think this superseding indictment naming him as a defendant is a pretty good indication that he's not going that way, at least not right now. Yeah, the superseding indictment is surprising a lot of people as we're awaiting a potential indictment for the president's involvement in January 6th. Um, John Miller, always great to see you. Thank you. Thanks. Well, joining me now is former assistant special Watergate prosecutor Nick Ackerman. Ackerman, th uh, Nick, thank you so much for joining us. So these two new charges sure. that the former president faces for allegedly attempting to delete security footage, how serious are they compared to the ones that he was already facing in the case? I mean, both seem to relate to obstruction of justice here. That's right. I mean, they're both extremely serious. Uh, the first charge relates to obstructing the subpoena that was attempting to get all of the classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. But the second one, which is the subject of the superseding indictment that was added, relates to the effort to try and delete um, what was the, the film and the video uh, that recorded what happened in moving around the boxes uh, that obstructed the first um, subpoena. So both of these are interrelated. It adds more to the case. It makes it a stronger case. Uh, and if it wasn't beyond a reasonable doubt before, it's beyond, beyond a reasonable doubt at this point uh, that these individuals conspired to obstruct justice. So uh, obstruction squared, you can identify it as. That's right. How, how <laughs> That's you, one way to put it. How do you think the judge in this document's case, Judge Eileen Cannon, will react to prosecutors just now adding more charges and yet another defendant? I mean, she just recently set the trial date for next May, though most people believe that it will happen right. later. Obviously, the former president wanted it after the election. Prosecutors wanted it in December. What do you think her reaction is going to be to this? I don't think it's going to be any big deal. It's not unusual 
uh, to have a superseding criminal indictment. It happens all the time. I don't think this is really going to add to right here. Um, when she moved it over to May, um, she was kind of constrained by a couple of things. First of all, the government didn't push too hard on the December date, basically saying it was aspirational. And at the time, they must have realized that they were going to supersede. Um, they didn't come forward with specific information under the Speedy Trial Act to push for the December date. Uh, the judge put it over till May. Uh, there's also the March trial date for the New York case. So May was probably the reasonable time to place the trial date, but there's a lot of given there um, that really provides more than ample time to meet all of the milestones that the judge set forth in her order uh, to make it to May. Uh, all this means is that the new defendant has to be arraigned. He's gonna appear before the judge this week or next. He's gonna plead not guilty, and this will just move forward as the case has been moving forward already. So based on this new indictment, how serious are the charges against this new defendant, Carlos de la Viera? What, what defense well, it, could his attorney counter with? There's not much of a defense here. I mean, he has definitely um, put himself in the middle of this conspiracy. There are uh, email, uh, not emails, but text messages uh, that put him right in the middle of this. Um, he's also lied to the FBI. They've got him on the video showing that he actually moved the boxes when he said he knew nothing about them. Uh, these are serious counts. They carry 20 years, up to 20 years in prison. So he's looking at a very serious charge. And when you put all these other two people together with Donald Trump that go before the jury that have to decide guilt or innocence, it just adds to a conclusion that all of these people were guilty. They were all in it together. And indictment charges, there was an agreement to obstruct justice. First one against the initial subpoena, and then the third defendant who came in was involved in the effort to try and delete uh, the video tapes. All right, Nick Ackerman, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much. Well, Thank CNN you. asked House Speaker Kevin McCarthy about the new charges against Trump. Hear his response up next. Plus, the 2024 showdown tonight. Will Republican presidential candidates try to capitalize on Trump's legal drama or keep the peace with their number one challenger? And just into CNN, brand new missile strikes in Ukraine. The sensitive target hit and the new images of the attack are coming in. Duck and deflect. That's how Republicans on Capitol Hill are responding to the new charges in the Donald Trump classified documents case as they head out of town for their August recess. CNN's Melanie Zanona is on Capitol Hill for us. So, Melanie, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy did take questions about the Trump charges, though. What did he say? Yeah, Speaker Kevin McCarthy weighed in for the first time today. He was asked by Armanu Raju whether he has any concerns about these new charges, which include allegations that the former president sought to have surveillance footage deleted from Mar-a-Lago. But Kevin McCarthy would not weigh in on the substance. He would not address the obstruction piece of these charges, which really is at the heart of the indictment. And instead, Speaker Kevin McCarthy tried to point a finger at President Joe Biden and his handling of classified documents. However, we should point out that not everyone in the GOP feels the same way as Kevin McCarthy. Let's listen. What concerns me is you have a sitting president 
that has a situation like this, but even worse, that had documents, on, but nothing's happened. You've had, and he's he's a buying. The obstruction versus but the actual—it's two different issues. They're saying the obstruction. It's not two different issues. How is one keep being indicted and another not? Because they're alleging that he obstructed in a okay. federal investigation. Let me ask you, let me, let me ask you this one question. Take all the names out. Does any senator, any congressman, have a right to take a document out of the skiff? This is not something to take lightly. Let's watch the prosecution make its case, and let the defense make its case, and I believe in our justice system. Now, that last voice that you heard there, that was Congressman Don Bacon. He is a Republican who represents a swing district, a district that Joe Biden carried in 2020. So he's a very critical voice in the majority. He can either make or break the majority for Republicans next year. And he also said he is concerned that all of this legal baggage is going to hurt the GOP in the next election, in the general election, if Donald Trump is indeed the nominee. That is actually something I've heard from multiple Republicans, although some of them only willing to say that privately. Uh, but across the Capitol, you have Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. He has yet to weigh in at all on any of Trump's indictments, on any of his legal trauma. So really a tale of two Republican leaders there. Biana. All right, Melanie Sonona, thank you. Well, in just a few hours, 13 Republican presidential candidates, including Donald Trump, will descend on the Lincoln fundraiser dinner in Des Moines. It is a rite of passage on the road to the 2024 Iowa caucuses. But once again, the shadow of Trump's legal mess is looming over the, tra the trail. CNN's senior national correspondent, Kyung La, is in Des Moines for us. So, Kyung, all these candidates are expected to speak tonight. Do you get the sense that any of them are going to go after Trump for these latest charges? Well, Bianca, that is exactly what we will be listening for to see if there's any variation in some of these lines that we've seen the 2024 deliver so far. This is a gathering. It is a major fundraiser for the Iowa GOP. It will be the very first time that Trump and DeSantis are at the same Iowa event. So we're looking to see if there's any friction there. And of course, this is the very first gathering since the news broke about these additional charges. You have already heard what Trump has to say. He said it uh, multiple times in response to the breaking news overnight. But as far as the 2024 field, it's been fairly quiet. We have heard Ron DeSantis talk about it. He's had events with this bus tour that our Jessica Dean has been accompanying him on. And he delivered some familiar lines. He also said, and he stressed that he, if he were the nominee, would not cause any distractions. Take a listen. It requires that we're focused on the issues that matter. We don't have time for distractions. You can't take your eye off the ball. You got to get the job done. So as president, you know, I'm going to conduct myself in a way that is focused on the people's issues. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people shooting at you. Uh, we know that. A lot of people shot at Donald Trump. We know that, too. Uh, but here's the thing. When they're shooting at you, uh, you know, the way you handle it um, is to not shoot yourself in the foot and to make sure you keep the eye on the ball. But here's something important to point out, Biana. Those are familiar lines. That sentiment isn't much of a deviation that we've heard from DeSantis previously. So Trump remaining the pace setter, the person who all the others have to measure up to, Biana. Yeah, Chris Christie, the one nominee, that the candidate that has gone after the former president, will not be there. Um, also, it's not just Republicans. Vice President Kamala Harris paid a visit to Iowa today to talk about abortion rights. How is this move being interpreted? 
Uh, it's clearly going to be a Democratic strategy. Democrats here feel that it is issues like abortion, where they feel that the public majority is on their side, that they are deploying the vice president for. And so she pounced here. She sees and understands, the Democrats understand that the Republicans are gathering for this. She is here to talk about Iowa and abortion particularly potent here, Biana, because Iowa's governor just recently signed a six-week abortion ban, but it is now stuck in courts before being enacted. So while this issue of abortion is being, is being debated here, the Democrats, and specifically the vice president, view this as a winning national issue. Biana? Kangalan, Des Moines for us. Thank you. Ahead, this statement today about the political future of minority leader Mitch McConnell. But it's what that statement did not say it's also noteworthy. We're back with the politics lead and new questions about political future for Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Wednesday afternoon, cameras rolled as he froze for 30 seconds at a news conference. Today, his office says McConnell plans to serve the rest of the current Congress as GOP leader. But that statement did not address his plans after that. So let's bring in our panel to discuss this and other top stories. So Scott, let me begin with you. You worked with Mitch McConnell and you spoke to him after this incident. How is he doing and what is your take on their approach in handling it all? Uh, he's doing quite well, actually, after the, the press conference where he actually came back and answered a bunch of questions from reporters. You know, he was telling me all about his day. He met with the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, took a call from the president. He called me. He had some meetings in his office. He went down to the floor and did the NDAA amendments. He, he was the keynote speaker at a big dinner in Washington uh, that night as well. So it was really just kind of a momentary, I think, uh, post-lunch lightheadedness that he was dealing with there and uh, kept his schedule and uh, plans. Uh, he's all, you know, they're coming home now. And he was telling me he's got a big schedule here in Kentucky for August, including a big political event next weekend. So he sounded good and was in good spirits and uh, and is looking forward, I think, to the fall and you know, uh, all the work that the Congress has to do. So he didn't reveal any plans about his future to you? Well, I can tell you this. He is going to be the Republican leader uh, through this term. And, you know, the only thing I've ever heard him say about elections of any kind is that I don't own this seat. The people who vote on him own him. And that goes for his seat in Kentucky and his seat in the conference. And he stands for election. And uh, I don't know what will happen uh, uh, in the next Congress, but I know he has no plans to go anywhere. And he is going to be the leader of the Senate Republicans. And I've heard no one in the conference mm -hmm. Uh, saying that that shouldn't be the case. Well, to that point, Nayara, I mean, Politico is reporting that this incident this week gave the Biden administration and some Democrats pause to consider what negotiations might be like without Mitch McConnell at the helm. There's little love lost between McConnell and Democrats, but the two sides, especially these two men, have a history and they have been able to work together. How do you interpret these concerns? Well, I'm glad to hear uh, and see that President Biden and Senator McConnell were able to connect on a human level. They've, they've served together for so long and been able to figure out a, a civil path forward up until recent years when uh, political conversation has derailed quite a bit. But what we're, this also brings up, Biana, this concern about our aging elected officials. The average age of a U.S. senator right now is 65 years old. But in a few years, the majority of the voting population will be between the ages of 18 and 45. So there's a big disconnect between the people who are in office running power and those who are coming up and actually 
having to deal with the impacts of the policies. We saw Nancy Pelosi, as a leader, step aside, hand pass over the baton to a younger generation with speak, uh, with a Democratic leader, Hakeem Jeffries. So this does raise a question of what is the plan for the future of the Republican Party in the Senate? At some point, Senator McConnell will have to have uh, some kind of passing of the baton for the viability of the party. We should note that this is an issue that that both sides, both parties uh, are grappling with in aging elected officials. Scott, let, let's stay on Capitol Hill because we heard Speaker McCarthy tell Armanu Raju that the classified documents case against Trump is very similar to the investigation to how President Biden handled documents, even though most people would disagree with that. Uh, Then you have Republican Congressman Don Bacon, who serves a district Biden won, saying the allegations in this indictment are indeed very serious, and he, in fact, trusts the justice system. So help us understand the split. Well, you said most people would disagree with that. Most Republicans would actually agree with Kevin McCarthy. To me, the real split is, yeah, Joe Biden had documents. Donald Trump had documents. But where Trump runs afoul here of everything is the obstruction. It's it's the obstruction right. counts that's a big that are issue. really problematic. That's a big, that's a big different. The, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. If you if you look at the if you look at the evidence, uh, the previous evidence, plus what was added this week. Uh, the obstruction is is extremely problematic. And so I do think McCarthy is channeling what the average Republican would say, which is, well, Biden had documents. Trump had documents. Why is he being persecuted? And Biden isn't. Why is Hunter Biden getting sweetheart deals or they're trying to give him blanket immunity and Trump's being. Per- That's how the average Republican would see it. So I would expect Kevin McCarthy to to channel that feeling. But obviously, the obstruction to me is is the real differentiator on the Trump situation. Yeah, Bianca, this is where it gets important that Rep. Bacon is the one with a, you know, a Biden one district heading into the 2024 cycle that he as, you know, a, a messenger for the party that talks about law and order, it's very difficult for him to be in a position to then have to defend a potential nominee who is under multiple indictments and effectively disregards law and order. So we'll see that being a messaging challenge for many Republicans who who are in swing districts going forward. Scott, if I can just uh, end on what you said, that, that still most Republicans think that these two issues are similar. You, you're saying that's the case even with more evidence showing that there appears to have been um, more of a cover-up from the president than we initially knew from earlier indictments. Yeah, look, I'm just going to tell you what I think if you took a poll of Republicans right now, what you would find is that they believe Trump is being treated unfairly because Biden also had documents. He had them for a lot longer. He had them in his garage and he had them even from even when he was back in the Senate, which no one could even figure out why he would have even had documents from that period. That's what the average sort of Republican, I think, would tell a pollster. That doesn't necessarily uh, mean all of what they believe is true. But but when you hear Republicans talking the way Kevin McCarthy did, there's a reason for that. And it's because mm-hmm. how Republicans have come to view this in light of their overall mistrust uh, of the Biden uh, Justice Department. Scott, let me um, turn to Iowa now and the GOP Lincoln dinner where a slew of 2024 contenders are speaking tonight, including Donald Trump. Aside from Chris Christie and Asa Hutchinson, who have made attacking Trump front and center in their pitches to voters. How do the other candidates like DeSantis need to handle these latest charges? Do you think they'll even raise? I'm not sure. Well, yeah, I'm not sure there's any way to handle it. I mean, look, the the primary to me right now, half or a little more than half of the party wants to do Trump and everybody else wants to do something else. And that's fragmented. But until half or more than half of the party 
decides, okay, we can't do Trump anymore. There's not a ton you can do about it. I'm not sure there's a TV ad or a speech that you could make uh, that would change someone's mind. What these candidates can do is put themselves in position to possibly pick up the pieces if Trump were to somehow collapse among Republican voters. But right now in the polling, there's no evidence that that's happening, happening, especially in Iowa, where he has quite a large lead. Although I will say, I think DeSantis has an organization there. I think Tim Scott has an organization there. And so there are candidates who are waiting in the wings. If Trump were to falter, Willie, we don't know. But if he were, I do think there are numerous campaigns that are putting together an organization that could try to pick up those pieces. But some of it's out of their hands. You know, it's it's a terrible thing in politics when your fate isn't in your own hands. And I think with Trump, a lot of them are facing that circumstance. Yeah, we don't see him faltering uh, in the polls quite yet. Um, now, I do want to ask you to weigh in on uh, CNN's Casey Hunt confirming a new reporting that moderate Democratic Congressman Dean Phillips of Minnesota is considering taking on President Biden for the Democratic nomination. Now, Phillips said he doesn't think that Biden should run again. And Phillips plans to be in New York next week to meet with potential fundraisers. Is there space for a challenger like this in the race? And is it the point where Biden's team should be concerned right now? You know, it's still very early on. And at this point, the Biden White House is going to be keeping the focus on the fracturing in the Republican Party rather than any concerns about potential challengers. And typically, the party apparatus, whether they be at the state level or the national level, do coalesce and unite around an incumbent because you have the bullhorn and the bully pulpit of the White House. But what Congressman Phillips does offer that could be compelling, potentially to unaffiliated voters or people who are not deeply partisan, is the fact that he's of a younger generation. Uh, he comes from Minnesota. He also, and it, random fact, uh, is one of the wealthiest members of Congress, used to run the Talenti Gelato uh, Company. And so he has a consumer connection. He potentially has a more direct connection to this rising plural voting base. So he does have a future in the Democratic Party. It just may not be right now. I didn't know about the gelato connection. Um, thanks so much for telling us that. <laughs> we'll have to leave that's it there. That's, both. That's, that's an amazing. Uh, that's an amazing fact. We'll go from a Democrat nominee that loves to eat ice cream to one that owns ice cream. <laughs> ice cream wins. Ice cream wins. Scott, Scott making the connection there. Um, thank you both, and, and having a great weekend. Well, up next, a CNN exclusive with Afghans in hiding from the Taliban. Their desperate plea two years after that chaotic U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. They worked as translators, humanitarian workers, even journalists, risking their lives to help the United States military who left Afghanistan in 2021. They were promised U.S. visas, a chance for a better life in America. And two years later, many still wait. Some have ended up next door in Pakistan. And as Nick Payton Walsh reports, many have already been deported, forced to once again live under the fear of the Taliban. It was the end of America's longest war, the worst of days. As Kabul fell to the Taliban and its airport became the last chance for salvation, the United States pledged those who helped it would have a new life in America. Those who helped us are not going to be left behind. But nearly two years later, not only are some Afghans who've been officially told they should get visas to America still waiting in neighbouring Pakistan, some have waited so long, CNN can reveal they've been deported back to Afghanistan. Sent back by Pakistani police to the Taliban, they fled. They stopped and told us, so we give you 
24 hours deadline. We should not see you uh, in Pakistan land. CNN spoke to two Afghans who now, back in hiding in Kabul, had paperwork confirming they were being processed for US so-called Afghan P2 visas. This is very, very dangerous and it, it is very tough. You know that uh, how many people have been killed, have been tortured, have been uh, disappeared. They will punish me, they will put me in jail, maybe they will kill me. I'm sure do do well. Still, we believe that uh, USA will help us. We believe. We, do, we didn't lose our hope still. Another said he hadn't even told close family of his return to Kabul or deportation. They did not hand us over to the Afghan border forces. They just released us on the border and told us to go back to Afghanistan. Also, they did not give us any deportation document. It was me, my four kids and my wife who got deported together. For some, desperation means it is already too late. This is where one of two Afghan men waiting for US visas took their own lives in the past two months, throwing himself from the sixth floor here, according to activists. Hundreds of Afghans have been deported from Pakistan in recent months, say human rights groups. No distinction apparently made for those with the promise of a US visa. Last week, Afghans in Pakistan waiting for US visas staged a protest. CNN spoke to several who complained of police harassment and feared greatly deportation to Afghanistan. One described how the Taliban had beaten him senseless in Kabul before he fled but that he now fears the Pakistani police's harassment. They were asking for a visa. There were a lot of policemen, they came into the house without clear information, and they took me out of home, and they were just putting me in the van. In my case, they were very much hurt. They were crying, and they were uh, asking for help. He described how he once saved his American colleagues during a protest, and had letters denoting his service. Of course I'm disappointed because uh, the way that I served the American uh, in Afghanistan and, uh, you know, I was expecting them to, to welcome me the sooner. It seems like I have no future at all. The US State Department told CNN the Biden administration, quote, continues to demonstrate its commitment to the brave Afghans who worked with the US, but added there, Processing capacity in Pakistan remains limited, but they are actively working to expand it. And they urged Afghanistan's neighbours to, quote, keep their borders open and uphold their obligations when it comes to asylum seekers. Pakistan's foreign ministry declined to comment. Another family were also harassed by Pakistani police, the father briefly jailed. Uh, it's a very bad situation for, my fam- for me and for my family. I- think is a bad dream. His wife broke down. Save us from Pakistan. I can't come back to Afghanistan. Come back to Afghanistan, equal with this. And here, we are dying every moment. And stay in Pakistan is a gradual death.
Now, Biana, on the 15th of August, it will be two years since Kabul fell to the Taliban. And we're in this strange, dark period where those Afghans who risked their lives for the United States and then did what the U.S. told them to, which is to flee to a third country like Pakistan, are now waiting so long for U.S. help to finally materialize. And in fact, the countries that essentially hosted them uh, for nearly two years are forcibly sending them back towards the Taliban. We are hearing from NGOs that over 500 cases of deportation have been documented uh, this year. That doesn't all mean that they were due U.S. visas. But frankly, if you are being deported back to the Taliban, you don't declare how you used to work for the U.S. as that is happening. This is a significant issue for the State Department to deal with if they're going to keep that promise. Biana? Yeah, it's really something to hear that man say two years later he hasn't lost hope in the U.S. Really powerful reporting. Nick Payton Walsh, thank you. Well, next, the details just coming in about new strikes today in Ukraine and the noteworthy target inside one of the buildings hit. A Russian missile strike in the center of one of Ukraine's biggest cities. Ukrainian President Zelensky says two high-rise buildings were struck down and struck in downtown Dnipro. One was a Ukrainian security services building. Three people were hurt. The strike comes hours after the Russians say they intercepted two Ukrainian missiles in southern Russia, the remnants of one falling and injuring 14 people in the city of Taganrog. Well, North Korea is flaunting its weapons to the world and presenting a united front against the West. As he always does, Kim Jong-un watched as troops marched in formation and big tanks rolled out. But this year, he also had delegations from both Russia and China by his side. North Korea also used this event to show off its new missiles, capable of reaching the mainland U.S. CNN has obtained a 911 call when Bronny James, the oldest son of NBA star LeBron James, went into cardiac arrest at a basketball practice Monday in Los Angeles. Get next to him, please, with the phone. Okay, I need to, I need to find out, if, uh, is there a doctor on scene with them or a registered nurse? No, there's no doctor on scene. Okay, help is, already on, help is already on the way, okay? Get next to him, please. The 18-year-old is now recovering at home after spending about three days in the hospital. LeBron tweeted about his son for the first time yesterday, writing, quote, everyone is doing great and that they'll have more to say when they're ready. And we certainly wish Bronny a speedy recovery. A Kentucky officer who was shot in the head during a mass shooting back in April is finally going home. Officer Nicholas Wilt gave a thumbs up as he left the hospital today. There you see it. Wilt was just 11 days out of the police academy when he responded to a shooting at a bank in downtown Louisville. Five people were killed. Doctors noted Officer Wilt's incredible will to survive and say he's making a remarkable recovery. That is wonderful to hear. Well, the sudden spike in gas prices has the attention of the highest levels of government. But first, CNN's Wolf Blitzer with what's coming up in the Situation Room. Hey, Wolf. Uh, thanks, Biana. We're following the very powerful reaction in Israel and indeed beyond to my interview yesterday with the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. He refused to commit to abiding by the Israeli Supreme Court if it were to overrule his very controversial judicial overhaul. Netanyahu offering new remarks today as he tries to ease the fallout. We're going to tell you what he's saying now and why his critics clearly aren't satisfied. All that and much more coming up in the Situation Room right here at the top of the hour. In the money lead today, the White House says it's watching the sudden spike of gas prices, quote, very carefully. 
The current U.S. average is $3.73 a gallon. That's up two cents today and 14 cents in a week, still far off last year's record. A senior administration official tells CNN President Biden believes the situation is steady but one to watch. They also note the strength of the economy drives up travel and energy use. Well, coming up Sunday on State of the Union, Democratic Senator Chris Murphy and 2024 GOP candidates Chris Christie and Vivek Ramaswamy. That is Sunday morning at 9 and again at noon right here on CNN. That is it for us this hour. Our coverage continues now with Wolf Blitzer in the Situation Room. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 